Hi, welcome to BetUS NFL Show. After recapping last week's ups and downs, our NFL guys are looking forward to our week six frontline that will have a nice roster of games, including another London game. The Miami Dolphins and Jacksonville Jaguars will face off in the NFL International Series. But the action kicks off on Thursday night football when quarterback Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will face the Philadelphia Eagles. On Monday night, the Buffalo Bills will meet the Tennessee Titans in primetime. Matt Landis, Las Vegas Chris, and Scott Kellen will be in shortly to go over early lines, their best bets, and picks for week six of NFL. NFL Week 6 coming in hot. Thanks to our live audience for bearing with a slight delay as we overcame some technical difficulties. But we're here with you guys to take an early look at some edges on the Week 6 board. And one of the big factors here, Chris, it's our first time this season with bye weeks in play. Obviously, the Falcons and Jets after playing in London last week, plus the Saints and the 49ers. So what's your approach when we're working with a shorter board? Oh, I complain because I want more games the merrier, quite frankly. So uh, I haven't started off as well as I would like. So I want more games in action. And there's not enough games. I want more games. <laughs> Scott, is it the same way for you? Do you just try to, you know, still just play, you know, where there's value and that means a shorter board could mean less volume? Yeah, you, you deal with what you got, right? But to Chris's point, hey, the more games you got, the more opportunities in a whole variety of different ways. So it just shortens those opportunities more than anything. Yeah, well, throughout the course of this episode, we'll get to some good opportunities that we can try to work toward on this week six board. And before we dig in, a friendly reminder to our live audience joining us on YouTube, we'd like to make this a Q&A. So feel free to jump in that chat, ask us any questions, and also feel free to let us know what you think about our takes over the course of this episode. And last but not least, before we kick things off. You can sign up today at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 to collect your 125% sign-up bonus. And for more information on that offer, check out the link below this video. And guys, as we dig in to our show, we're going to get into some bets from last week. But first, we can pull up a full-screen graphic with our records updated after the Week 5 action finished up last night with uh, Scott the Raven somehow coming through on a teaser that we had last week. So that kept our records um, in the shape that they're looking right now. Chris to date, 13 and 11. I'm 9 and 8. And Scott, the leader of the pack, 11 and 5, off another strong showing this past week. Collectively, we're looking at 33 and 24, and we'll look to keep it rolling as we get deeper into week six. Uh, but first, let's take a look at some of our action last week and see what we can maybe apply moving forward from those week five results. We had a consensus play on the Browns. Scott, you and I had them in a teaser. Chris, you have the Browns plus two. So we got different outcomes over those different approaches to the Browns exposure. Um, but Scott, like I said earlier, the Ravens coming through last night, somehow giving meaning to that Browns cover of the teaser leg on Sunday against the Chargers. Hey, that's sometimes why you tease it, right? It's, it was a you know, line under three. So sometimes you don't always feel comfortable with that. Although I agreed with Chris's pick taking the line, but uh, you build in a few extra points and you know, sometimes like that uh, and both games, right? They, they both came in uh, and you needed the teaser on both of them to get the cover. So, oh, you, you guys don't know what you're missing by just betting that straight up. <laughs> I have a lifetime story to tell of watching the team I bet on actually carry the opponent into the end zone. That's how I lost. So, jeez. 
Yeah, that, that was one for the ages for sure. And I'll go ahead to that end and give the entertainment value of this one an A+. But when it comes to the confidence and any meaningful takeaways from that end game, I think I'm at an F. And, and Chris, in your case, the outcome was an F as well, given what it did to your Browns plus two. Yeah, it was difficult watching that. It, it seems like I was on the wrong end of a blown lead. So, you know, that's just the way it happens. You, you got to take the good with the bad and you can't uh, get down in the dumps about it. You got to take it in stride. Uh, I, I had four games that I bet this week that I essentially call coin flips or uh, uh, games that could go either way. And I, I actually ended up on the wrong side of all four of them. So, Last year, I seemed to be on the right side of those, so it, it all evens out. Yeah, well, another one of those coin flips from last week was the Bengals hosting the Packers. Scott, did you have one more thing to add on that Chargers-Browns game before we move on to that one? Yeah, I was just going to say on it, you know, just talking through this to kind of remind me how we all have selective memory and uh, that we had the teaser and we saw that play. And at the time, I'm like, you know, they should have just taken a knee to set the field goal up to not really allow them the opportunity to push them in. But Chris got burned on it, if you will, because they pushed him in there. That's a forgotten memory for me because we won it as a teaser. Uh, and Chris obviously remembers it very well. So I just, I'm just thinking, hearing it, you know, like we all have selective memory in different ways about how we should have won, lost, did lose, you know, and it's just kind of interesting to note that it's just important to keep it in the right frame of mind, whether you won or lost and remember really what happened, not what happened that impacted your result necessarily. Yeah, well, when it comes to that Bengals-Packers game, I, I think that the result you could remember, you know, with this one being a push, at times you could have argued the Bengals should have easily covered. At other times it looked like the Packers could have covered pretty comfortably. So, you know, netting out with that push, Scott, what do you make of the result that we saw Sunday in Cincinnati? Well, it's interesting. I'm looking at the success rates. Cincinnati dominated this game from a success rate standpoint. They were successful about 54% of the time to about 41% for Green Bay, which is alarming. But the flip side is Green Bay averaged 7.4 yards of play, Cincinnati 5.6. Uh, now, the Packers did have a long run in there, which kind of skewed their rushing numbers. Really, if you take that run out, they averaged six yards a, a run with it in, the 57-yard run by Aaron Jones. It's actually 3.6 yards per rush after that. That's kind of what success rates will do. It'll take some of that stuff out. But you have to also account for big plays. Big plays are big chunk plays, and they do mean something. So, uh, you know, they, they both mean something. But uh, it's just interesting, a game that Green Bay won by one by three. And like you said, uh, either side could have won. And all these missed field goals, from a success rate standpoint, though, it, it really looked completely different uh, from a Cincinnati standpoint. Yeah, and Chris, Scott touched on a lot of missed field goals. At a certain point, it just felt like a high-stakes game of Russian roulette. It's just brutal, and I think that segues into one of the topics I wanted to talk about. 14 missed field goals, 13 missed extra points, all-time record for missed extra points in a, in a week. And I bring this up not because it's unusual, because I think it's going to change the way we start handicapping these games because it's a cause and effect type situation. The more these teams are missing these kicks, the more they're going to start thinking about two point conversions and going for it on fourth down. I mean, I, I, I looked up the, the, the stats for made uh, PATs, 11 teams are at 90% or lower. You think these, uh, these PATs are nearly automatic more than a third of the league are making 
you know, less than 90% of their PATs. What about field goals? 20 teams are at 90% or lower and 11 teams are at 80% or lower in field goal success rate. These are big numbers. What do you guys think? Yeah, one of my first thoughts, especially, you know, building on that Chargers Browns game we talked about as we get, you know, perhaps more younger, smarter coaches in the league who who understand these numbers. We might see teams going for it more. I think of, you know, Brandon Staley. How many times has he gone for it on fourth down this year? He really seems to understand when to keep the ball. Um, I think of a lot of primetime games involving a team like the Chargers. Maybe look at punts to go under because the punts prop that we see at a lot of books in primetime games is probably using a model that does not take into account some of these coaches' inclination to go for it on fourth down when that's the right move to make. And I know at BetUS, one of my favorite props to play for a few games every week, shortest touchdown over under one and a half yards. And with some of these teams, instead of settling for, you know, a 53-yard field goal attempt on fourth and one, if they just go for it and keep that drive alive, that gives them a much better chance to get down to the goal line. So this could have a lot of implications in the props market. And Scott, I'd be curious for your take as to what this could also mean from a total standpoint. Well, it's it's hard to say, uh, and I'm going to look into this a little bit more, uh, Matt, and maybe we'll have more to say on Friday with it too. But um, you can see this thing going both ways in terms of uh, you know they go for it but don't get it. Uh, well, then they don't get the field goal opportunity. They go for it and get it, and of course they could, like you said, they could score a touchdown on this. Uh, it can impact both ways. Um, and it's just interesting. I was at a, a conference years ago. This was right when Cleveland was just starting to kind of introduce, if you will analytics to um to football really because we'd always seen it in baseball and there was a gentleman there speaking at the conference uh from a very well respected kind of analytics website if you will and i asked him what he thought about uh, you know cleveland getting into this from the nfl and he made a very interesting statement at the time he said he had a buddy who was a coach uh or a consultant for an nfl team he said not a very good nfl team but they were trying to get their coach to go for it more often on fourth and one and whatnot and the coach responded to him saying, if you guarantee my contract for the next three years, I'll be more inclined to go for it. He, he didn't want to go for it at the time because he was worried about losing his job and then a perception that he was an idiot and he wouldn't get hired somewhere else. That's starting to change, obviously, now. And as we see more coaches become successful, more people will go for it. And the other, last point on this is you have to kind of know what you're doing. So you get people that go for it, you feel sometimes, that just feel they should go for it but they don't really have the setup to properly go for it. So, you know, you get coaches who maybe aren't as well set up to really go for it, going for it because they feel it's now the thing to do. And that has an impact as well. So, I mean, this thing can be all over the board in terms of affecting, you know, impacting things positively, negatively. Well, yeah, I love that anecdote, Scott, because when you talk about coaches also prioritizing job security, I mean, that's human nature. So no matter what the numbers say, people are going to do that at a certain point. And it would be nice if front offices, you know, maybe some do this behind the scenes, but just be more upfront about committing to the process over the result in any small sample sizes. And you talk about, you know, the overall process behind this dynamic. Chris, I'll kick it back to you for your thought on this. I think of a stat like success rate that's very common in the analytics community right now. I think, Scott, you might have mentioned that just a few minutes ago at the top of this show, if I'm not mistaken. And third down is deemed as a successful play only if it results in a first down. And for a lot of teams, if you've got third and 10 and you get eight yards and that sets you up for a very makeable fourth and two, 
that should probably be considered a successful play. So even with some of these analytics, we might need to retool things. And Chris, to that end, how does this whole dynamic affect your handicapping process? Well, you're exactly right. It's good, you know, there's going to be a domino effect of what the stats actually tell us. And that's why it's so important not to rely on just a couple of stats. And you have to look at the domino effect on all the other stats and how they affect it, because you brought up a perfect point. Uh, I have no choice but to consider uh, new new situations. You had the Lions go down there and Campbell goes for two to win the game. He's got nothing to lose. There's other coaches that are doing that are, are stepping into the light and doing similar stuff. You have to be on the ball and you have to know which coaches are willing to do this and which coaches are not. And here's this here's the one actionable thing I'm going to offer. Uh, I haven't heard this anywhere, but I think there's huge value in this. And that is take a look at the Chargers. They're going forward on third and seven or, or, or fourth and seven from their own 27 is the, I think some something like that. And they're just going to go for it. They, they have the confidence. What happens when you have a coach that doesn't care how much he loses by? I mean, and he shouldn't. I mean, I don't understand why more coaches, hey, if we're not going to win the game, we might as well just keep on going. Why are they punting? There's going to be more coaches that stop punting and they're going to keep going for it. And what's the actionable uh, thing that you, you can take away from it? Take a look at the alternate lines. Instead of if you if you want to bet against San Diego or you want to bet against a team that is doing this type of stuff, go ahead and get some big plus money because if they lose, they might lose by a chunk, and you might get a nice payday on the alternate lines, and they're not going to be adjusted. They're going to be just tied to the metric values instead of. The, the the cerebral aspect of who's coaching the game and what they're likely to do. Yeah, and Chris, when you talk about playing the alternate lines, I think of the notion of trying to get in play on the possibility of added variance, which is very much a factor when we see these kinds of decisions. And to that end, I remember this time last week when we were recording our Tuesday show, you had a bet on the Rams minus two on Thursday night, and that covered for you, even regardless of that last-minute field goal that doomed Seattle teaser backers. You were comfortable with the Rams at that stage, but there were a few points throughout the course of that game when it looked like numbers like two or five were very much in play as, as outcomes. I mean, this week we saw a lot of people teased Denver up to plus seven and a half. Denver lost by eight. Minnesota, depending on when you tease them, maybe you won with minus one and a half, you lost with minus two and a half. So when it comes to the alternate lines, um, also something to consider for bets like teasers. Are there any other options on the betting menu that other either of you guys think uh, might need some reconsideration, especially when coaches that we know to be more aggressive um, could get, you know, a, a bigger track record with these types of decisions? I've been I think it's important to kind of screw around with them a little bit and familiarize yourself with it. Uh, there's no set formula, so to speak, that you're going to easily memorize other than basically getting familiarity with ballpark what they are. Now, there are websites you can go and you can look up the values of these things and you can plunk in. OK, the line, the main line is this and the alternate line is this or you punch in the, the, the different values and they tell you exactly where, where the line should be and whether you have value or not. And my point on the alternate lines with the chargers, it, those programs are not gonna reflect the true value because 
they're not, they don't care. They're either going to go for the win or they're going to get, you know, they're going to die trying. You know, I'll, I'll add in, you know, a, a couple of those, Matt, you know, you see pretty common uh, how many field goals are going to be made in the game, three and a half. Well, that obviously can get adjusted. The longest field goal, um, you know, it, for the longest time is 40, 45 and a half, then 46 and a half yards. It's, it, it seems to keep getting longer and longer. Um, but now you add in a Charger team who maybe won't go for field goals that often, especially when they're, you know, that much further out. Uh, you know, all that stuff can come into play. I'll give you another example. I think this was a uh, Indianapolis-Pittsburgh game uh, three, four years ago. The first half, I'm sorry, first quarter total was seven and a half. And my buddy took the over first quarter because he said if Pittsburgh scores, they're very inclined to go for two points. I think at the time they were going for the two-point conversion uh, on their first score very often. And sure enough, they did. They got it. And they ended up scoring like they that was a game they blew out Indianapolis by like 40 points. And they scored a whole bunch in the first quarter. But he kind of used that knowing that they would go for two, that that first quarter total of seven and a half points wasn't a normal seven and a half points because Pittsburgh was playing and it had a different impact the way they, they would run their offense. Yeah, I think there's so much to keep in mind here for betting strategy moving forward. I, I think this might be one of the best segments we've done on a Tuesday show yet this season. Um, so you know, great stuff Jack, by both of you. Jacksonville yeah. hasn't even made a field goal this year, according to what I'm looking at. Is that possible? Jacksonville uh, has Well, I know Josh Lambeau has been pretty poor. I'd have to look it up to know that, but. New Orleans is at 25% conversion. Seattle's at 60%. Cincinnati, 62%. San Francisco, 66%. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'll throw one other thing in there, too, just to try to oversimplify this uh, on a slightly different uh, example, but it all applies. And and just bear with me with my my numbers here, which aren't exactly correct. But if the two-point conversion is 50% successful, it's not right necessarily to say that every team should go for two points because therefore you're, you're 50% successful, or let's say it was 52% successful. Because how does it get to, that, to a 50% success rate? And again, I'm exaggerating the point here, but some teams are 40, some are 60. Some teams are much more equipped to get close to that 50 plus and vice versa. So that's the other thing you, you kind of want to know is, okay, yeah, teams might start going for it on fourth and three, fourth and five or whatever. Are they capable of actually pulling that off that's a whole other animal in this whole conversation that I think you have to be aware of as well. Yeah, the the, the Twitter uh, pol- uh, metric police drive me nuts because they're even arguing amongst themselves and they're off quite a bit between each other, lecturing everybody else. Oh, well, they're dumb, dumbasses for not doing this. It's all, you know, it depends on the personnel. You don't know if somebody's injured. There's a lot of different storylines that are not factored in before people get ridiculed for not following metrics. Exactly. Well, to to that point, I think we're in a good place to get into our on the move segment because our riser this week is the Chargers. And I mean, Scott, you kind of touched on it. If you've got a coach like Staley, a quarterback like Justin Herbert, an offensive line that's vastly improved, a lot of skill positional weapons. I mean, when they went for it on fourth and two deep in their own territory against the Browns in the third quarter Sunday, they even just ran a draw play with a running back like Austin Eckler. So if you've got the right pieces, you can make that work. Um, And it sounds like that's probably one of the bigger reasons, Chris, that you nominated the Chargers as a team on the move up this week. Yeah, I, I, on my model, the Chargers gain the most, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. But uh, they're not a complete team. They, they've got some holes. They've got they've got to build some stuff up. But um, 
it doesn't mean I'm jumping behind them and betting them blindly by any means. It's just that they're on the move up uh, in relation to other teams uh, that are on their way down. So take it for what it's worth and uh, from my viewpoint there. Scott, beyond everything we've already discussed, is there anything else that has you more bullish on the Chargers right now than you were before Sunday's game? Uh, no, not really. I mean, just just the fact that at least they seem to have a coach that understands the game and, and where to maximize their opportunities. I think that's the biggest thing. And like Chris said, they've got some deficiencies as well. And um, uh, But they at least seem to have a clue, and I think that's important going forward. And we know they've got talent as well. Yeah, well, on the flip side of the Chargers on the move up, we can stay in the AFC West and our follower this week, the Las Vegas Raiders, obviously a pretty clear reason there um, when it comes to what's going on with their coaching situation. And Chris, I'll come to you first here since you're the guy with Las Vegas in your name here. Uh, when it comes to the loss of John Gruden, especially focusing on its impact for us as betters, what do you make of the coaching change at this stage of the season for the Raiders? And I just must add one more thing. Condolences to any of our friends who had invested in Urban Meyer to be the first coach fired, because <laughs> this is certainly a pretty big bombshell out of left field. Yeah, I, I think it's obvious looking at it in retrospect. Uh, we can we now understand why they just laid a turd sandwich on the field last week, because it was just a pitiful display, and I look for this to be actually a benefit to the team. I, I, I think the spirit must have been out. They were just lackadaisical, and there was no excuse for their performance against the Bears. So I look for them to perform better. They were my largest drop uh, metrically last week, but they're still 3-2. and two. They have a lot to play for. You have pros that, that want to earn a living in the future. They're not going to just sit there and lay down and do nothing. They have stuff to play for. So uh, most of their team is intact. I think uh, they're just going to be happy to be able to move on and not have to have this cloud hanging over their head. Yeah, Scott, building on Chris's point, one narrative we hear a bit this time every year, and there can be plenty of merit to it, would be you know the notion of the dead cat balance when a team gets a new head coach. But in the Raiders case, I know that John Gruden was also responsible for a lot of the best things they did with play design for their offense. So where do you net out when it comes to losing a pretty bright offensive mind versus also moving on from somebody who seemed to be, you know, a pretty poor presence in the locker room, especially in these most recent couple weeks? Yeah, I think it's hard to tell because normally when a coach gets fired, it's because they're not the team's not playing well. A lot of times they'll do it in a bye week. So you got a little bit extra time to prepare. Well, none of that's happening here. Uh, Gruden, I don't think Gruden was a great coach. So, you know, they're not losing something from, it's not like Bill Belichick got fired for some emails and stuff, right? So they don't lose anything there necessarily. What what we don't know is really what was the mood in the locker room and not to rehash the, the, uh, the details of all the emails, but the emails that were played out, you know, there was different, uh, uh, people in that locker room that could be offended by that for, for a lot of different reasons, right? So you don't know how the team was impacting. Here in Vegas, uh, you know, I was watching, maybe it was on SportsCenter, but they were talking to the beat writer who had reached out to a lot of the players and asked, you know, their opinions last night. And he hadn't heard back from any of them. Uh, you know, he was kind of saying, you know, it's obviously a shock in some way, shape or form. But look, if this is a relief to that locker room, then, it, you know, it could have some positive impacts. I think the one thing Chris hit on that is definitely it was a cloud over that locker room for sure, right? So uh, we get rid of that, but it's hard to say. And I had this team, you know, kind of rated slightly below average before that game even, and and this kind of just supported that. So 
I don't know what we're going to get out of it. Um, if that locker room was kind of hating everything that was going on, maybe we get a little bit of a bounce back initially and, and maybe long-term as well. And I'll say this, the last thing on this is people always ask, hey, do you think this guy is going to be a good coach? It comes down to how good of a leader is this guy. Boy, you've got offensive coordinators, defense coordinators. Is the guy a good leader in the locker room? If he is, you could see a real positive bounce from that as well. Yeah, and Chris, I'd like to come back to you for one more thought in a moment. I'd, I'd first feel compelled to note that it was eight days ago that you and I had our money on the Raiders. They were 3-0, and taking on the Chargers in what might as well have been a home game for the Raiders in that Monday night setting at SoFi Stadium. It's been quite the precipitous fall over the past week and change. And I understand that your metrics still have the Raiders' offense pretty high, but with Gruden departing, is this an area where you might be open to making a quicker adjustment than you would under more normal circumstances? Um, I, you know what, I, you just have to sit and watch and see what happens. Uh, there, I, I don't get a predisposition to do anything. I you just have to react on the spot. Uh, um, you know, just like I was, you know, Hey, Buffalo, show me that you're good. You know, last week I was all over Buffalo, like a bad rash. So, uh, you got You just have to pivot when you have to pivot. Yeah. Well, on that note, Seeing what happens with these teams moving forward, let's take an early look at week six lines, courtesy of BetUS. Again, this is our first week of the season with buys, so a slightly shorter board than usual. And Chris, I think we can go ahead and kick things off now with where you see these lines moving over the course of the next few days. Yeah, I just uh, try to run through these lines as quickly as possible. If people are trying to you know, decide when to bet a game, this is my best guess on what the, you know, what the timing of that's gonna be. So uh, first off, Tampa Bay, uh, I, I don't think that that goes any higher and, and it, it quite probably could get bet down. Uh, uh, I, I think we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the Thursday game. Uh, Miami's a tough read because I think it would be going down, but uh, it may it looks like two is questionable now. So if they announce him in, then that's going to go up. So uh, you just have to be careful there. Uh, Indianapolis saw its peak at 10 and it's not going to go back up there. I don't think, uh, I doubt if it hits seven, but it's possible. It probably doesn't green Bay. They were favored by three last week uh, on the road against Chicago or, uh, Cincinnati. They're in the same situation, uh, against Chicago. Uh, why are they four and a half? I, I see that line going down. Although I hear people who uh, want to bet it up. We'll, we'll have to see. Kansas City is a strong seven now for some reason. I don't understand why. I think it'll get that back down. Uh, might be some uh, goofy stuff going on with that. Minnesota is now the favorite, but if McCaffrey's announced in, I don't see any way that that uh, Carolina doesn't become the favorite. So uh, something to consider there. Baltimore is a three now. It's pro it's going to weaken, and it might even hit a 2.5. Uh, there's a lot of support for the Chargers. Cincinnati. At Detroit, that's a really tough read. It's three and a half now. I don't think it's going to go any higher. I think it's going to try to ping pong around in that area. Uh, just pay attention. Denver hit four, and I think that that's going to be its ceiling. Uh, so I think it, I don't know whether it goes back down to three, but it could. But I think four was the ceiling on that. And Dallas probably saw its ceiling at four and a half. Uh, it's four now, and I think it'll probably get bet down. Pittsburgh, I think there's a lot of people waiting for a six that may never come. Uh, it may well be peaked now, but uh, people are hoping it hits six. And Buffalo is at five and a half. Sixes are starting to show. 
I think that it quite possibly can just keep on going. And uh, who knows, maybe it'll get some public dog support Monday night. Yeah, well done with that thorough run through and pretty efficient time. And Scott, another factor every week as far as line movement goes, injuries, any news that we get, you know, as we move closer to kickoff can have a pretty big impact. So what do you make of some of the bigger injuries this week uh, as it pertains to some of that line movement that Chris just touched on? Yeah, I mean, the ones that I would be paying attention to, uh, the Giants, we've got obviously Saquon Barkley, low ankle sprain, uh, you know, possibly could play Daniel Jones, concussion. Uh, and then this the wide receiver corp, there's a cluster of injuries there. Galladay got hurt last week. They were already missing Shepard and, and Slayton. You know, you start to add up, if, if Barkley, Jones, Galladay, Sterling, Shepard, uh, uh, if all those guys are out, yeah, that's maybe a six-point adjustment on the Giants right there when you start to factor in all those guys. Uh, we know Russell Wilson's out. You know, depending on what you get from Geno Smith, I think that's, and I'd be interested to see what you guys think on this one, but I think that's a five- to seven-point adjustment with Russell Wilson out uh, at the quarterback position. Um, Le- Levante David, linebacker for Tampa Bay, out. Uh, the Chargers lost their guard, Ode Abushi. Remember, they're also playing without the right tackle, Brian uh, Blaga, so that bears watching. And Cleveland, you know, they went in that game last week with a whole bunch of questionable people. Denzel Ward got hurt. MJ Stewart got hurt. Greedy Williams. This is all in their secondary. So they have a cluster of injuries there. We don't know if they'll all play, not play this week. Uh, but that bears watching um, on their secondary, especially taking on a Cardinal team that obviously will want to throw the ball a little bit as well. Um, and one that's kind of under the radar and um, they're on a bye. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, they're playing this week. Jacksonville lost their center, Brandon Linder. He's a very, very good center for them. Uh, that one bears watching uh, as well. You know, I, I forgot. I skipped two two games by mistake because uh, Cincy and Cleveland looked alike. But uh, the Rams are 11 and a half, 11. Uh, again, that's all injury related, and it's going to depend on who plays and who doesn't play. But uh, as it sits now, it's a pretty strong line. Uh, and the, the Cleveland game, I didn't discuss that one, did I? That no, uh, I had a question about it, so yeah. go ahead. Uh, I I think it's kind of in no man's land because people want to bet Arizona and they don't they want to wait till it hits three and people want to bet Cleveland and they want to lay a two and a half so it's kind of in that in between stage it's going to get action both ways depending on who which direction flinches first so uh, but that should be the area that it sits in yeah it's my going to go there to was... solid three. It will get to a solid three somehow, I think. Yeah, it looks like it's trending that way. And I know there's the saying, you are what your record says you are. In this case, with the undefeated Cardinals taking on a Browns team that's now lost multiple games, uh, that could challenge the strength of the notion of your record, you know, kind of being the uh, be-all, end-all, if you will, especially with some of those secondary injuries that Scott touched on. Um, so, Chris, you still think this is going to go to a solid three, even though Arizona's 5-0 and and the Browns secondary might be a little bit shorthanded on Sunday? Yeah, I think uh, Cleveland's got a lot of support. Uh, Arizona off a weak performance last week, which I kind of favor them a little bit for that. Uh, you you kind of like to uh, grab a team after a soft performance. But uh, there's uh, there's some cracks in the armor with Arizona that, that's being publicized, uh, uh, some inconsistencies with uh, their overall efficiency. So uh, whereas Cleveland is is more consistent and more understood, and considered more dependable, and they should be in a nasty uh, mood playing at home. 
Gotcha. One more game I wanted to get your thought on. You kind of touched on being surprised where this line is right now. The Chiefs now a juicy minus seven traveling to Washington. And I think to answer some of your uh, confusion as to why the Chiefs might be getting support, uh, it seems like it's week after week at this point of uh, a crazy number of turnovers. They were minus four in turnovers again on Sunday night against Buffalo. And at some point you have to wonder if it's a feature as opposed to a bug. I mean, this defense just not doing its part to really force any turnovers at the same time. Some of the fumbles on kickoffs and, and handoffs without anything too crazy going on just seems like it might be unsustainable. So what do you make of the Chiefs as it pertains to both their turnover luck or lack thereof so far this season, as well as the fact that for their defense, this could finally be a step down in class after they've perhaps taken on the best four offenses outside of their own and the entire AFC over the first five weeks of the season? Well, their 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 defense is epically bad and horrible. Let, let me put this in perspective for you. The the very best season of NFL football ever played offensively, 2,000 Rams. They averaged 7.0 yards per play. How bad is the Kansas City defense? They're giving up 7.1 per play. So. It's, it's just, it's at a level we've never seen before. But as you mentioned, Matt, their schedule's been tough. So we're going to see those numbers. They're not that bad. They're going to play weaker teams that aren't going to be able to roll on them. And that those numbers are going to come down fast. And that, you know, might help build their confidence a little bit. And uh, just something to keep an eye on there. They're not as bad as they technically look, but they aren't as good as we thought they were. Yeah, lots to keep an eye on with the Chiefs. And before we can find out more from them on Sunday, we've got a primetime NFC matchup coming our way on Thursday. So we can dig in now to that Thursday night game. Tampa Bay traveling to Philadelphia. Bet US currently having the Bucks as a reduced VIG favorite, minus 105 attached to that minus seven for Tampa Bay, total at 51 and a half. And Chris, we've got a history of Brady on short rest. He's been talking about it this week. What do you make of that tight turnaround for Tampa Bay? Uh, going on the road at that with a short week. Well, I'm hoping Scott has some ideas on this game because I don't have a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, what you like to hear is when the player comes out uh, Sunday night or Monday and he says, yeah, these these short week games are rough. They're, they're, they're tough to come, ba- come back and, and, and play. And, and Brady has a history of not playing well on Thursdays. He openly admitted it's tough to rebound like that. And when you don't, you're missing Gronkowski and you've got other uh, cornerback issues and other injury issues and you have to travel on top of it, you know, that's a big concern. I mean, I'm not going to be looking to lay seven uh, in that type of a situation. Uh, You know, very interesting stat. The 44-year-old geezer had his first 400-yard game with five touchdowns. You know, that's pretty remarkable. So I'm sure it'll take Herbert a couple of weeks to be able to match that the way he's going. But uh, uh, I don't have a lot on this game. Philadelphia is really scrappy. They've got some great offensive metrics that I'm not buying into. Uh, uh, Both, you know, Tampa's 0-2 on the road. Philadelphia's 0-2 at home. So somebody's going to go into the win column somehow. Yeah, Scott, what are you looking for on Thursday night in Philadelphia? Well, I, I think that the first thing is, remember, Brady's got this hand issue, right? So, I mean, I don't think it's anything that's going to be it just blow him up and prevent him from playing or anything like that. But we don't know how that's going to impact him. Uh, or do they get a little bit more conservative with their game? Because 
Uh, they don't want to throw the ball because there is an impact on his hand. So that's just Bears watching. Um, you know, there's nothing here earth shattering. I, I will say this: that is the Tampa Bay run defense is very good, uh, and most teams can't or maybe won't even try to run on them. Now Philly comes at it a little bit differently, obviously with Hertz and his dynamics and whatnot. So it's a little bit of a different, unconventional running game, which we see, you know, there's a few more teams going this way now. So maybe the traditional Tampa Bay run defense doesn't necessarily apply to the Philly run offense, but you could see a little bit more throwing because of that as well. Um, But, you know, my numbers, I favor Tampa by about eight, make the number 49 and a half, pretty much, uh, you know, kind of right where the number is sitting. This thing did get bet down a little bit on the total yesterday. but there's not enough value on either side for me in this game. Yeah, I make the I make the line slightly over the seven, uh, but uh, I'm just not buying it. I, it's not a game that I want to get involved in. It's not even a game I want to tease. Teasers have left a bad taste in my mouth, and they're uh, I, I don't need to be laying road teams and teaser situations uh, for some action. So it, it's a passerino for me. Yeah, make that a third pass for me in this one. The number just seems like it's right in this case, so no need to force the issue. I think it's worth keeping an eye on any news we get out of Brady with that thumb injury, especially on a short week like we touched on. On the other side of the ball, Scott, you touched on that injury to Levante David. He's probably not a go for this one. And as a leader in the middle of that Tampa defense, that might be especially impactful to your point about the Eagles' kind of unique run game. So not in a rush to back either team here. I think we can find better spots to invest our money as we get deeper into the week six board on our Friday show. So normally this is when we do a Thursday night football pick recap for everybody. Uh, this can be pretty quick. We can pull up a graphic on the screen if the production team even bothered to create one because it's a pass for Chris, it's a pass for me, and it's a pass for Scott. So one thing we can promise, we'll have more action to get into on our Friday show. And on that note, I think we can go ahead and thank everybody for tuning in and joining us today. If you're with us on YouTube, go ahead and give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. Don't forget, you can sign up at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 for your 125% sign-up bonus. And guys, while we're talking about BetUS here, got to wish Natalie on the BetUS team a happy birthday. I think she's finally old enough for that first drink, so go enjoy (laughs) that tonight, Natalie. Look forward to hearing how it went in our next production meeting. And on that note, everybody, that does it for us. But we're back with you to break down the full weekend slate on Friday. That'll be live at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We'll see you then right back here at BetUS, where the game begins. Happy birthday, Natalie. Yeah.